0: Yes, hello, folks. Welcome to the very first of the series of podcasts with my co host here, the actually James Rhodes from United Muppeteers. We've been threatening to do this for a while, so, mm. delighted to finally get it up and running. Um, this will be broadcast across both of our platforms, so you'll be able to find it if you're a United Muppeteers subscriber on James' platform and, of course, on Mang on Beyond the Pitch. We'll see how it goes later. We still haven't decided on a name yet. Um, Beauty and a Beast, what about that? No. I don't know <laughs> um, about that. Ah! <laughs> uh, don't know. Um, <laughs> the um, I don't know. Escape Convicts. I don't know, what was appropriate. Um, lots of things to talk about, of course. We appreciate you supporting this fan show. appreciate all the kind messages we received yesterday. And um, hopefully this is something worthwhile. So, first of many. And like I said, this will also be broadcast on our YouTube platform. So, James, how's things, Matt? Real good,
1: real good, and you, all things considered.
0: Yeah, are you regretting this?
1: Or really? No, 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 <laughs> no, it'll be fun, it'll be fun. It'll be uh, cathartic right now too, you know? Yeah, well,
0: it's very, very difficult to be positive right now, obviously, lots yeah. of stuff going on. We'll yep. talk a little bit about the Arsenal game, I know it's, we're a few days removed from that, um, but I uh, haven't recorded since last week, so... Talk a little bit about that, uh, some of the stuff that's going on inside the club, we'll cover that, we'll cover Anthony, we'll cover Jaden Sancho, talk quickly about the Champions League draw, and uh, a few other things, making the headlines. First of all, mate, um, like I said, we're a few days removed from the Arsenal game, and one of the things that happens to me is, I usually have two different takes, I usually have the emo- emo- immediate take afterwards, which is a lot more emotional, and then a few days later... A more measured take when my emotions settled down um something bizarre happened uh at arsenal i can't remember ever feeling this way but when Declan Rice scored it really actually normally i would be totally devastated yep. but it, it felt like okay oops felt like it was something that um i expected yeah it was, uh, I was sitting there, I was thinking about United there last season, I was thinking about United away to, to, to Brighton, I was thinking about United at home to Forest. United at home to Wolves, where both those games they really could have conceded very late, and yep. this is becoming part of United's identity now, where it used to be part of their identity they would score in the last couple of minutes, now it's, yep. we're holding on, there's nervy defending, and I almost expected it, and I mm-hmm. I, I wasn't completely devastated because they had no other expectation that anything else was going to happen.
1: Pretty much. And it's been, you know, one of the things that I think has been certainly a highlight, well, a low light, but a highlight of United right now and this team is um is is there's something there's something that seems to be wrong with, you know, either the preparation or the mental kind of fortitude. Uh you know, even even earlier in the game, you could see it. They score and 30 seconds later, give up a goal. And, of course, it makes sense then that the away record, especially in big games, has been terrible for the last year. I think one win against the top 10 away. When you're at home and you have the the boost of the fans, you know, you can mount a comeback like Forrest, down 2-0 in the first five minutes. Again, a problem with preparation, but the boost from the fans and the, and the support from elsewhere can drive you. But they seem to be a bit incapable of pulling that support together themselves and, you know, dragging themselves up and getting that toughness in place. So they score one goal and concede immediately. Right after working very hard to get that goal, and they played very well up until that point in time, in my opinion. And um, and then you, you look at it at the end, and you can just see it coming. And you, you can see them kind of get frailer and frailer and frailer as the, as the match went on more and more nervous more and more shaky and then you kind of expect it and it happens and uh and obviously and i think that the difference between home and away still comes down to that exact same thing is that is that mental fortitude that toughness that they cannot seem to pull it together themselves when they have the crowd it helps them but otherwise not so much
0: yeah i agree and i think you know when you look at that one away when it was against fulham um mm-hmm. which was granacho in the last minute um yep. <laughs> but I world cup yeah. yeah yeah but and i think when you look at what were the things we were expecting yeah, we're going to improve on this season one of them was going to be how they we're going to do away from home i've yep. lost two of the first four games away from home against decent opposition um, i mean it's it's absolutely not good enough um i know they've had a lot of injuries and that's something that deserves scrutiny on set by itself yeah. because it seems that this is something that plagues Manchester United. And it can't just be a coincidence that you need to pick up this many injuries. Lots of people looking at pre-season yep. preparation and what have you. I'm wondering, if this gets something to do with it, you know, Lissandro Martinez is, gone is, is is basically gone out injured of two of his first four games. You don't have the depth to deal with that. Um, yep. Bringing on Maguire and Johnny Evans, I think, is an awful indictment for multiple different reasons. One, Johnny Evans is yep. fine if you want to bring him on. Against Luton. Yeah, prefer, you're seeing you know, how to win, you know, yeah, up, up a couple of goals, it's fine. It, yeah. Bringing them on against Arsenal in the game and under the caution is not yeah. something you want to be doing. And against with McGuire, you never had a warning right before that where the ball came across and Saka should have scored. Yeah. Uh, oh, no, I saved it. McGuire's ball watching, balls in behind his shoulder, and uh, didn't take the chance. Even in the corner, he it had a warning about not marking the back post. And Arsenal were clearly targeting that. And again, when you look at United on set pieces, they've got the worst record for set pieces in the Premier League. That's not an accident. This is something that predates Ten Hag. You know, I mean, I remember, I think it's Eric Ramsey's a set piece coach, was brought in um, under uh, Solskjaer's last year, before Rania came in. They were dreadful, absolutely appalling. You Yep. You should not be conceding goals, in set pieces. You're get you're letting Arsenal win that game on a corner. If you get yep. cut open, fine. If someone scores an unbelievable goal, fine. But on a corner, that's basic, yep. right? Yep. You should not be. Con- if, if it almost for 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 an attacking team to score on a set piece, you have to almost make a mistake.
1: And, and from uh, inside, practically the. Practically, yeah, it's had simple to box too. It wasn't like outside the box or anything. It was right there, an unmarked yeah. man. You know, race
0: has attempt. Put pull the ball down. Yep. Control it. Shoot before there's anyone on top of yep. him. Yep. And I don't like. Listen, I know you need to have had some decisions go against them. Granitxu could have went either way. Maybe Johnny Evans could have had a free kick. Maybe Hoyland had a penalty. Could have had a penalty. But when you start getting down to blaming referees, like you needed get away to Spurs. And that that's indicative of the mental weakness that you're talking about. That's yeah. a major concern to me because when I see Bruno Fernandez coming out and blaming referees, you know, but referee wasn't the guy that put the head put put a header a six yard header over the bar, right? Yeah. Referee wasn't the reason why you were out against Spurs. behave like Smike and we'll get that in a minute because I think there was some antecedents to that that um, we could see in the body language that I think we now know part of the reason why. Um, they were behaving like that, we'll get to that when we yep. t- talk about Anthony, but um, you know these become mental habits and when in a habit and you can see the nervousness in United even when they're ahead in games, that they don't trust themselves to hold on to it um, that's a major major concern and I look at that Arsenal game and I think, lots of people say you need play well you didn't play too bad, there's no doubt, but are we really at the point where we're talking about you know uh, uh uh you know unlucky losers you know the the uh valiant losers you know were we did okay we lost but we're okay with that i mean city city went to arsenal last season and tore them apart you know yep. and to me there's other reasons beyond the playing squad that you need to in this mess that we can get to um but when my feelings settled down i actually felt worse two days later than what i felt immediately after the game because i reflected on it and i thought yeah but ultimately they have lost that game 3-1 okay. and even in that uh, Gabby Jesus goal the ball drops and Marcus Rashford the whole, the, the, puts in what is really quite appalling half-hearted tackle and okay. Arsenal breaking and score and you're going there's something really really wrong with this team and if you remove the belief that a team can be successful you are in serious trouble. Yep and i think when you look at the i i said this against spurs and to me it was obvious james that there was a serious issue with the, the body language of players yeah. now if you yeah. look at before that game alejandro Garnacho's brother put out a tweet saying something along the lines of if you knew what i knew why players start you'd understand a lot more yep sancho was dropped for the spurs game for showing up late to the training yep I. I have on good authority that he was being topped up for the last couple of weeks before that window, for the end of that window by Chelsea. And this has been a consistent problem for Jude Sancho through his career showing up late. it was an issue at Dortmund, it was an issue at England, it's been an issue at United, it's been an issue at Man City. So this is something that follows him. And Ten Hag has been ruthless when it comes to uh, things like this. I mean, he dropped Marcus Rashford before the Wolves game for something similar. Yep. But there's another side to this. And that's the favoritism said. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing. You you know this as well. Tien Sancho isn't the only player that thinks that. Yep. That comes down to me. Yep.
1: yep. <laughs> He's definitely not the only one. <laughs> He's not the only one who thinks that. It's not the only one who has this kind of issue. And it's a challenge because you have, you know, you have the issue of, of lateness and discipline. You also have the issue of and this is just, just to present a little bit of, of both sides of it. Because one of the things that separates, I think, good managers, smart managers, good tactical managers from great managers is not necessarily tactics. It's not necessarily their training habits. It's managing egos. And this is true in every sport. Uh, Phil Jackson for the Chicago Bulls. Entire, you know, he had his his thing. He came up with the triangle, this whole like tactic, this whole strategy for basketball that was uh, unique at the time. But actually, it's pretty basic. It's a pretty basic thing. Um, the biggest thing he did was manage egos with Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, these players, and uh, and had some of the most success he'd ever had, you know, that anyone has ever had in coaching. And one of the one of the players he had on that team, Steve Kerr. Has done the same thing with the Golden State Warriors for the last ten years too, and um, and one of the things you see happen in in sports is uh, is great managers have a way of dealing with with players too beyond the tactics. You know, Pep Guardiola has. Um, I mean, you know that you can have what you have about City and how they run things, and we'll talk about you know the club itself at the basis of all of this, but a lot of managers. They have to learn how to how to manage the differences between these players because at the end of the day, you've got players between the age of eighteen and thirty five years old that are millionaires and they've been millionaires since they were practically kids, and they've never lived the type of life that anyone else has lived, and they're going to be very very different, you know. And and I, it's funny because I saw a lot of comments about how if it was under Sir Alex, you know, he'd be gone, but I actually don't think that's true. Uh, Paul Scholes talked about last year with the issue with Ronaldo, how he refused to play a game against Arsenal uh, under Sir Alex. He was only 25 years old at the time. Um, He refused to play a game uh, against Arsenal because he wasn't selected for the prior game against Liverpool. He was only 25. I mean, he'd already been, you know, he was successful by then, of course. He was a great player by 25. But he had 12 more years at United after that. 12 more years in his career. Well, Paul Scholes did the same thing.
0: Yeah, Paul's, Paul's yeah. Post goals refused to play in a reserve game yeah, because he wasn't... exactly. Oh, no, no, look, th- these types of things happen all the time, right? Yep. And the difference is there wasn't social media. Yep. So it wasn't, you know, you were able to keep it quiet. You didn't have leaks. You didn't have players that had easy access to broadcast this stuff. Yep. But it got leaked within certain circles. Every single thing that's happening that United now has happened before. I mean, you can guarantee there's been... Maybe ten players in the Premier League that are dropped every week for not yep. doing well in training. Right, that 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 is not new to Jadon Sancho. I'm not unique to Jadon Sancho. What is unique is, of course, is when Ten Hag finally digs him out. Yeah, because he could have done a million other things and 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 not done that and not put the focus on him. So he clearly did that for a reason. He knew exactly what yep. he was doing. And look, uh, you know, he, there's been things that have gone on and football clubs far far worse. Um, I think there's some different um, mechanisms though, some different uh, characteristics to what happened before where if you go to other clubs where these types of things happen, um, there's a very, very clear disciplinary structure. And every once in a while you'll get a player that the discipline doesn't apply to, but they are exceptional players. Like Cantona was... You know, you, you, you know, not was immune to a lot of the disciplinary measures that would being applied to the United players. But everyone accepted that he was a different case because he was exceptional and delivered on the pitch. Yep. What you can't have is players immune to disciplinary measures that don't do it on the pitch. Because then there's yep. no justification for that type um, of indifference. And at a club like United where there isn't a very clear definition of success. And what I mean by that is... Think about a thought experiment for a second. If you're Richard Arnold, you've got envelope A and envelope B. You can walk into the Glacier at the end of the season and say, envelope A, we won the treble, but we broke even. Or envelope B, we finished the top four and we made 100 million. Which one would you pick?
1: Yeah, they're I mean, going to uh, pick B every time. Of course. Right?
0: Yeah. So, so the Glazer's definition of success has nothing to do with sport. If you can manage to be yeah. successful by making profit, great. But the first priority of Richard Arnold or anybody that works for them is profit. right? Yep. That's how they define success. Manchester City have a whole different, you know, the whole different focus. They're playing a whole different game. Their definition of success is sporting success. So every single thing inside the football club is geared towards that goal. Every single thing inside Manchester United is geared towards profit. This is why they get led down into uh, making stupid immoral decisions like going for the Super League because the guiding principle is profit. This is why they launched an investigation into Mason Greenwood when in reality, the only thing they weren't going to do was release him because, again, protecting a mm-hmm. hundred million yep. pound asset. So it was one of two options. It was Richard Arnold, you find a no way of bringing him back into the first team, or you loan him out. Pick one then they pick both. Yep. <laughs> um, this is how you end up, you know, and, and when I said, um, they said, we learned from the Mason Greenwood situation when it came to Anthony. I think the one thing they learned from the Mason Greenwood situation when it comes to Anthony was don't suspend him. Because I think yeah. if Nedded had to do the Mason Greenwood thing again, they wouldn't suspend him out of the gate because bringing him back then became a story, especially when they look at what Arsenal were doing with Partey and other, well, let's just not suspend them. So that bringing them back is in the story, right? And so that we're not put in a situation where we have to consult people to bring them back. So I had a feeling they weren't going to suspend them for this reason, but then it brings up the other problem of, well, now players do genuinely feel justified that you're showing favouritism yep. towards Anthony. Mm-hmm. Because why is he escaping, being suspended? And I'm sure Mason Greenwood's looking at that going, what's different? You know, if, if Anthony yeah. had came first, with Mason Greenwood have been suspended, probably not. And, now and it gets worse
1: an... than, when, than that, you know, because, you know, you and know, I spoke about, even back to Spurs, some of the body language. Mm-hmm. The Mason Greenwood thing had been decided... The U-turn, right? That he wasn't coming back the day before, the night before, really. That Spurs game. Yeah, pretty much. And there's players who are very close to yeah, him you see in it. that squad. There's players who are very, very close to him in that team. Actually, um, you know, and, and all other issues aside, there's a you know there's players that have known him since he was a kid as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's still practically a kid, right? But there's players who've known him since he was he was very young. Who'd uh, there's players who came in and who who were presented who have leadership roles, who you know wanted to take. There's a brotherhood, same as you'll get in of any course. industry, in any business of that is there, of and 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 they will feel it when they feel like one of their own is under attack for one reason or another, or when they feel like, you know, okay, the club isn't was gonna was telling us one thing and then. They decided not to protect him. Right or wrong on the decision, right? Sure. That those feelings come into play for these players, and they they know him. They know him. A lot of them know him for a long time. A lot of them, you know, still know him and still had a lot of contact over the last some months. And uh, it's, you know, it's it, it presented itself there, and it was even potentially a factor. And so what you're saying there's, is true because you know even the players will think of it. There are other players who who feel that way. And it is hard to separate it out from, you know, this is where it comes into this whole point to you talking about, about this, a standard way of dealing with things, you know, in in the U S sports, what do they do? Nine times out of 10, the standard way is we just leave it to the authorities and the clubs and the teams themselves. They don't do anything. They don't involve themselves in it. Right. They simply leave it apart Mm -hmm. and say, we're going to let this be in the hands of the authorities, and so it's independently investigated. They're going to play while it's happening. If they're charged and they're going to trial, we'll make a decision. And they do that so that one, they're protected from. Why is Richard Arnold now being the judge? Either mm-hmm. way, whatever 100%. decision he makes, Richard Richard Arnold is not a judge. You know, he's not a jury. He's not an investigator. He's not a. You know, this is not his expertise, and it shouldn't be um and so what is he really judging is most often it's the financial outcomes right of not course. really the actual actions of course it's the financial actions and so you're going to get a lot of problems within the team because of things like this and i'm not saying that they're going to say hey we want anthony suspended because i'm sure that he's got many friends in that locker room too but they are going to be wondering there are going to be people more wondering why is this being treated differently? You know, from from mm-hmm. from a certain perspective and, and it, it causes problems and it's, you know, a, a lack of any sort of standard you know, policy uh, in, in the club, a lack of standard human resources that any business would have, which is to say, for two reasons, if someone in a business is getting accused of something, you have the business that has policies to protect themselves and you have the business that has policies to protect their employees and you have the business that has policies to make sure they find out the truth of it too and take the right actions. And they have none of that. It. It's just whatever they think or decide or come up with. And 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 that is going to cause problems in every single camp with the fans, with sponsors, with staff, and with the players themselves. And and uh, and it certainly doesn't help with this, you know, with, with everything going on and, and the favoritism types of claims and things like that too.
0: Look, you had Bruno um liking the the pie video about mandy yep you have bruno fernandez liking the picture on instagram of mason greenwood with his um when they had the baby
1: yep
0: i'm back with his partner so i'm not implying that um i'm not saying claiming that bruno fernandez doesn't feel um upset about what mason greenwood did or or or, or is lending him support but i think um You can make some logical inferences from, you Mm -hmm. know, certain players supported him. And I think um, the fact that again, United have no guiding principles that compromise potential profits is the problem here because they're always led by what's financially expedient. But there's a human aspect to this too. And when the Glazers always acted in their own best interests at the no matter what that costs other people, you're going to have complete disharmony because their interests don't always yep. align with the staff at the football club, with um, the administrative staff, with other people. I mean, you can bet your life there's people in United that feel very strongly about players that commit these types of things that shouldn't be there because they've experienced it themselves. Yep. And when you have owners that contravene their interests and threaten to go on strike, which we know for it was true, um yeah. you know, I, I put out a, a tweet the other day about Richard Arnold's first year, you know, I think the English call it Anasereblis, um, which genuinely is astonishing. And um, you know, there's another story came out today, we'll see if we can touch on this, but about United Invaded a convicted pedophile back to the football club. And you know, when I read that I wasn't even angry anymore. I had um, gone beyond anger to um genuine serious concern about yeah. the football club like you know someone has to occur here this this is beyond ridiculous this is absolutely unacceptable and I really pitied United rather than you know anger because at some point this is yep. now this is this is commensurate with my expectation of these people this is what you should expect anger yep. suggests that I expected they could have made another decision you know that, that there was something else another decision available to them but to me because of the what you were talking about the fact that there is no disciplinary structure there is no reward or incentive structure that's geared towards sport and success right because they're absentee landlords and everything is the derivative of that ideology this is what you get absolute complete chaos and um you know, Richard Arnold has no qualifications whatsoever to evaluate an evidence and make a decision on Mason yep. Greenwood's innocence yep. or guilt. He's a fuck, an accountant. Yep. You know what, what? does he know? You know, and the, if you look at Ivan Tony, Ivan Tony is faced faces an independent investigation into Baden Yep. Yep. And gets suspended. Why can't we do this? Yeah. Because here's the thing, if that independent body comes back beyond because there's two standards here there's a the criminal standard right and there's a the civil yep. standard right yep. if an independent organization hired by the premier league not by manchester united so there's, there's yep. no commercial relationship between the two comes back and says mason greenwood has no case to answer or something like that united can easily bring him back without yeah. any criticism
1: full justification 100
0: right? Yeah. right so yeah. you know this is the results of an independent finding then yep. you can't criticize them but as soon as you're marking your own homework and saying we're bringing them back, you yep. have a serious problem. Yep. Exactly.
1: Yeah, it, it is It is the issue. And, and, and it is. it brings up the issue of why. I mean, I understand why when, when you're talking about betting, you're talking about something that constitutes the foundation of the sport. You know, if somebody's fixing matches, things like that, you know, is why that thing gets referred to independent investigation. But. At the same time, you're you're talking about a Premier League, and and this, it's not just United; it's the league itself. When we, when we talk about everything that has pretty much profitability as its only guiding principle, too.
0: Yeah, no, That's I know. That's kind of it's underneath it,
1: you know. There's so many things that they should have independently regulated. When we talk about ownership, when we talk about all of it, why are they allowing the Glazers to use the club like they do?
0: I completely. Why agree. aren't
1: there standards in there from the Premier League itself? And, you know, it's the problem is that it always does keep kind of going to the top. It's the top of of United, that they don't have carrying owners in this respect, but it's also the top of the Premier League. You know, why the league isn't set up to support and to handle and to run things for the good of the football itself and not just, you know, the financial product.
0: Well, there's often a misconception that said, you know, the Glazers are spent, X amount of money, right? Yeah. So, what people need to understand is this once you go to the stock market and ask for money, you have to publish certain things. One of the things you have to publish is how much money you're going to take out of the club every year. So, yeah. people are implying that the Glazers could have been taking out hundreds of millions of men in their pockets instead of spending it on transfers, they have a fiscal responsibility to invest in that football club, in the team, once they take money from the stock market. They're also, um, they also, d- depending on, you know, people are buying stocks on the premise, they're not gonna take a certain amount out, they have to make a certain amount of money before they take it out, all this types of stuff, right? So they can't just go in or commit a heist, rob the club blind. They have to they have to do what yep. they're doing, right? Um, And what I don't understand is, I mean, I suppose they do in some ways, but, when you buy players, that's cosmetic, okay. Uh, the true sign of owners, legitimate owners with commitment to me, is investing in the things that aren't sexy—a new stadium, investing in infrastructure. Mm-hmm. The things. The problem with investing in infrastructure is it, it, it's very difficult to scale an ROI, okay. Yeah. So, you know, United Harris Sporting Director say like Siki Pajuristain, someone who judges themselves solely on the success, the sporting success, and he sits down with Joe players and he says, Joel I need 20 million for the best in class sports science department. And I guarantee a joke is going, why would I spend 20 million, right? Yep. For I, I, what's my ROI on that? You know, a yep. player I can sell. And you know, as long as we're getting in the top four, I don't really care. Well, yep. this sports science department is going to allow us to catch our Manchester city and finish first instead of second. I don't really care if we finish second. If first, that, that's okay with me because it doesn't really affect my revenue. So. Yep. He sees the value in Manchester United's brand. It wouldn't matter if United played in the park on a Saturday, right? Yep. It, because the global reach of the brand is where the value is, right? So, it doesn't care about a dilapidated stadium, doesn't care. It, you know, if it, if you want to catch someone in a race, you have to outpace them for a while. And United can't even keep pace, right? City outpaced United for a couple of years and then cost them, and now they're gone. So, in order for you to catch city, beyond the acquisition of players, you need to invest in all the other things behind the scenes that that, that narrow the percentages. That make sure that you have proper sports science, proper nutrition, proper sports psychology, psych, uh, psych, uh, um, psychology, proper analytics, proper everything that goes yep. to making sure you get optimal performance from your athletes. You also yep. have a proper disciplinary structure. All this stuff. Right, but that costs money that the Blazers don't want to invest in. This is just chaos, and it, it's the same two-year entropy every year. Organization to chaos because none of these things exist at United that exist at other clubs.
1: Yep, exactly, and you know, and and um, obviously that that subject could go endlessly with with United in terms of what they haven't done and and keeping up. One of the things that they have done or that has been happening under John Murtaugh and Richard Arnold and them, that maybe does deserve a little bit of, a, of, of credit. And part of the challenge that we always have in talking about these things, you, you know, you put out a tweet the other day about how, um, and I, I've said this quite a few times on my videos and things too, that um, it's very difficult for the people within the club because yeah. these are normal people, right? Yeah, exactly. A lot of these people have the best interests of the club at heart 100%. and they're trying and they're very much trying really to do the people. right thing. And, uh, and a lot of times when you, when you talk about anything good that they might be doing, people take, start to equate mm. every good thing that is being done as praise for the Glazers. Of and course. it's quite the opposite. A lot of stuff happens that's good in spite of them, essentially,
0: mm-hmm.
1: or that they manage to figure out. Um, and one of those things is that, and I want to talk about this because I think this will be an interesting topic for people to understand as well and, and to look at. And in, in, in maybe a little bit of a more positive sense, one of the things that's going on. Um Last year or a bit earlier, you know, they they worked on bringing in and enhancing the, uh, the data science and analytics department because it was essentially evaluated that United weren't just behind. They were practically non-existent mm-hmm. yes. in terms of data and analytics. And this is something Jose Mourinho said years and years ago, and he's not even particularly a modern coach in a lot of ways mm-hmm. when it comes to analytics. Um, that United were miles and miles behind on so many things. And they hired a very a very good hire in, a, in Dominic Jordan, who's a very highly rated individual to kind of rebuild that analytics and, and data science. And that has to do with um, performance and all of that. It also has to do with scouting players, signings, things like that. One of the problems that ties into everything we've seen, of course, is that m- the majority of the signings that have happened under Ten Hag especially in the first season almost exclusively were his players right mm-hmm. players that he he targeted and he looked at and so we brought in Lissandro Martinez because he played for me brought in Taro Malaysia because he watched him in the in the Dutch league we brought in Anthony on a lot of money because Eric Ten Hag liked him uh, goes to Weghorst it goes to unfortunately issues with people like Arnautovic where they had to do a U turn Mm-hmm. After he vouched for him because of you know racial issues, this is something you and I talked about and brought up, and even gave direct feedback on the club too when when that signing was being considered, and they had to kind of change course on that. And and then this this year, obviously, you know, um, Sofian Amrabat is somebody that Eric ten Hag knows. Yeah, for me too. Um, yeah, and and, and 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 the you know uh, Mesa Mount. Tentatively, that one I give a, I would take, I wouldn't put quite on Eric Ten Hag's plate. He definitely, well, you know, he approves everything. When he played against, against yeah. the Vitesse. Um, Yeah. He played, but he has he been in the eyes of sign United
0: him, but, too. Yes. Yeah. Simba as well, but yes. Yes.
1: Yep. And the only player, the only player this summer that you would say has been almost exclusively identified, followed and watched by the club is Rasmus Hoyland mm-hmm. that they signed this year. Has no connection to Eric Ten Hag. Um, is a different type of player. Obviously, the manager has a say. They're going to approve everything. They absolutely should have a say. They're a big part of this you know, council or whatever you want to call Mm -hmm. it in terms of any structure. They have a say. And um, it's going to be a big test of this new structure, these analysts, this department, Mm -hmm. to see how these players that they start to identify do. Because we're not going to be just signing Eric Ten Hag names. For the next years and um and i think we've almost even reached the end of that uh rasmus hoyland being the first one to really get a, a test of but i think that's part of alloying some of the, the critiquing because one could criticize and myself included on anthony on some of the signings on yeah. some of the things that have occurred except it shouldn't really be his job in the first place you know eric ten Hag to identify oh. and 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 be the person deciding everything on transfers that's you know no club runs that way no successful club runs that way either
0: i agree 100 percent. here here's here's some of my uh I, I mean you have to say for the most part it's been successful yeah but here's yeah. here's where it gets a little bit dicey for me so 10 Hawk's coming in and saying i want the young i want all these players right and yeah. you're reacting to that and trying to get them who you want the problem is they might be well-known teenated on the pitch but how well are they known off the pitch right and how much yep. time have you had to really look into their background and evaluate yep. them as human beings and say, is this someone that what risks are we taking here? Because that matters. Yep. Right. Yep. And, you know, Ten Hag has got quite a questionable record. He backed um, over Mars yeah. at Ajax. Um, no question, Arnadovic was, you know, someone that he went after. He was certainly someone that endorsed Mason Greenwood. Um, and I think the Anthony situation is something that will affect him because yeah. that is 100% down to Ten Hag even if Anthony didn't have this thing going off the pitch for me one thing I, I think Ten Hag's done an exceptional job but one thing that kind of irked me a bit is when you're complaining about your team not scoring goals and one of the reasons is really five million pound winger isn't it's with kind one of like, goal well, since maybe, his first three games. Yeah, maybe you shouldn't <laughs> yeah. shouldn't have bought him, Eric. Maybe you should have went yep. after a Santo striker, because yep. it was blatantly obvious to me. United you know, could have got away with not having Anthony last season, but if yep. they had a Santo striker, it would have made, made a much bigger difference on that team. Um, and and I I, I think that um, that is one mistake that I feel, you know, he deserves criticism. on. and des- you know Anthony. That, and even beyond what we've said, this, this goes now to other players that are looking at this going, you know, how come this guy never gets dropped? You know, yeah. how come this guy, you know, and, and even you can even see, you even saw it last season when he was getting brought off in games, you know, his pissed off attitude, you know, yeah. like, wait a minute, you didn't do anything. And here's the thing, James, if he's guilty of what he's been accused of, People need to remember that the victim isn't the problem here. Anthony was the one that let United down. A couple of months yeah. into an 85 million pound move is your new manager at a club where he's under pressure and you're battering women. I mean, yeah. why, why why, can't you behave? You have a sense of responsibility to the club, yeah. to yourself, to your family, to the fans. Yeah. And you also knew at that point about Mason Greenwood and you're out doing this, you know, yeah. And again, this is why it's so important that United show zero tolerance towards the likes and mason Guru. because maybe Auntie's looking at that going, Well, I want to bring them back, so I've got no problems. They're gonna take care of me. You know? I yeah. mean, I don't know. I, I can't say that's the case, but I'm looking at that going, and if if this is true and and the evidence is quite you know, it's quite inculpatory, to be honest. Um, remember what happened here? Anthony let like, United done but is there a question mark the answer about 10 Hogs' ability to evaluate people? there is
1: I mean there certainly is and part of it is that is this point of you know again there's he's a football coach and in, in some respects I don't want to it's sort of like it's it's, it's similar to the point of, of Richard Arnold too right like I wouldn't expect Richard Arnold to be good at evaluating people. As a you know, as to who they are and their individuality. Now, as the as the CEO of a football club, should he be setting up things that allow them to do a little more research and a little more talk and a little more check-ins? You know, one of the things I will say is that United used to rely under under um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. They they uh, I know they relied heavily on asking senior members of the playing squad about some of the the history of players, and they turned down quite a few signings because of that. Um, and two of those players who were very heavily relied on were Nemanja Matić and and Juan Mata, who knew a lot of people from over the years, were very well respected and viewed as two players with exceptional, you know, track records as human beings. And um, it's not a perfect system; some things slip through the cracks. Uh, but you know, there was a lot of people turned down there, and and part of it is that. Any system where you have one person making all the calls, you're going to make mistakes. Any system that doesn't have a checks and balances, that doesn't have support, Mm -hmm. you're going to make mistakes. Yeah, Ten Ten Hag clearly, clearly has a problem with, you know, either not caring about it because it's not his forte or being inaccurate in his assessment of individuals. I mean, even the De Jong situation is not nearly as serious. He thought he would come. That's why they spent so long on it. You thought he would join after conversations with him and he wouldn't, he refused the whole summer. They thought he would join. And um, and so there is, a. a I think there it, there are questions that have to be asked over the assessment of personalities, but it is why you need a support system. Um, I, I spent a good couple of months leading up to the window on, on my videos and such talking about one thing that I, that I say, which is you have to protect managers from themselves. It's something I think very strongly. You have to protect managers from themselves. Um, You have to... They're going to make huge mistakes if you give them all the ability. You know, Jurgen Klopp has had some success at Liverpool, but funnily enough, since certain departures, they've gotten worse. He's struggled because they've essentially turned over almost everything right back to him making the final call on everything. There's, There's stories from years back about... How he wanted to sign a different player to Mohamed Salah, who you know, and and things like that that didn't work out very well and was you know over overstated. When you have Michael Edwards and people in charge who are very successful uh, at, at what they do in terms of running the football side and and that's personality based, that's football based. But you have to protect managers from themselves because they, they just they can't be everything. I, I think that those days of football sure.
0: are gone. I completely agree with that. I think. One thing that I might slightly disagree on is that I think Richard Arnold should be in a position to be able yep. to evaluate people. That's true. If you That's if true. you are yeah. a CEO of a company, you have to be able to read people. Yeah. You have to be able to make good decisions on the people that you're hiring. You don't but have to. let me to ask be, you one question on that. Yeah.
1: Should he ever talk to the football players themselves in terms of evaluating? Like should he be in that? You should hire mm. people to do it. But should he ever be involved in evaluating footballers themselves as well, the CEO?
0: I look at his contemporaries. Would Florentino Perez? Yes, I. Sure. I true. think that I get what you're saying. Um, I think doesn't you could steam on an argument for both, right? Yeah, true. Um, mm-hmm. And it, you do have to trust the decision, but of, of decision making of your football team. But if, of your. I mean, I mean you know murder structure yeah but but here's the thing there's two aspects to this yep and this has to be considered when you're a club that says united you have to evaluate players on and off the pitch so your football department comes to you with the list of players saying we like this guy we like this guy we like this guy okay then what we're going to do on the other side is we're going to employ high-end people that are able to, maybe, I don't know, for behavioral side, whatever. The kid look at a human being and say, you know, you, you can't predict human behavior; it's impossible. I get that, but you can look at certain things and say, okay, this guy has a track record of this. This guy's a track yep. record. Of, you know, we've seen some of this because things like physical abuse or sexual assault don't usually show up at twenty-one, twenty-two. Right? Yeah. These are usually yeah. problems that predate that. They're it's usually yeah. not a one-off. But but I mean, usually when players get when human beings get to this point. There's loads of signs that this is, you know, that this has been an issue. I mean, Mason Greenwood. If you look at Mason Greenwood's behaviour prior to what happened, there was lots that mm-hmm. the not signs were of blinking red for a long, long time about this kid. Mm-hmm. Rafa Marson. It's not unusual for kids to behave badly. That happens. Yep. But to me, I think you have to be really, you have to be conscious of what you're doing when it comes to sending certain players. You can't be sitting, taking the heat and going to the same mark one out of it. Even the most basic.
1: Yeah, yeah that was most, so easy to check yeah. on.
0: I mean, it was it's like... like but yeah.
1: that,
0: that's what I'm saying. Like, I mean, I'm not asking much. Like, I saw an article the other day saying that um, Manchester United have finally accepted that, um, you know, players should be given merit-based contracts and not massive contracts and that they're going to stop doing it. What? I mean this is the, I don't care how I I, I don't care what what <laughs> what position you occupy in life, this was blatantly obvious a decade ago. I mean they ignored yeah. all this advice from folk don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do and they did it. Yeah. And now ten years later when you're broke, you finally got come to the realization that maybe you shouldn't be rewarding players with, with wages that aren't commensurate with their with their market value. Yep. I mean who yep. decided to give David de hair? 375 grand a week and based on what logic who else was given it to him yeah. i mean i can understand if there's someone else in the background wanting to take your keeper off and that, and you say okay we'll pay that to keep you no one else is going to do that yeah who yeah. else was given Maguire a six-year contract for what yeah. right all this stuff that is a major impediment uh, to united's convalescence right yeah. so because now they can't they they, they this is a, an impediment for ten hog i mean this summer we talk about you know a, 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 a dress from that room, he has now been told here's Maguire and here's McTominay, two players we wanted to sell, two players that yep. the club of defined is not good enough. Yep, that I've now been told, listen, Scott, listen, Harry, we can't afford your replacement. And bear in mind, they considered doing this with the hair. Um, so go back in that first team and give us a hundred percent. Another the manager doesn't like you, but go out on that field and yeah. give us a hundred I mean, why? it's insane but see this is what i'm saying like if this was at city they'd be gone right yeah if this was at real madrid these clubs that are that define themselves by their sporting success these players would not be there right this is how Mateo dormian lasted years at united because you can sell but you're getting 1.2 million to replace your right back okay well what's the point yeah right and so they're not good enough but the problem is you can't get enough money for them to buy quality replacements so you're stuck with them yep and so Uh, And, you know, you're confronted by that incompetence everywhere you look. I'm confronted by the incompetence of Moises Caicedo. Confronted by the confidence of Erling Haaland, Jude Bellingham. right? I mean, three of the best young players in the world who Solskjaer wanted, and they couldn't get any of them over the line. Yep.
1: Yep. I mean, it is funny in that respect, because without the structure, this is why it's like, you know, managers are all going to be different. Without the structure, when you look at it, uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer had some amazing, amazing football targets. I mean, the team he was trying to build, you look at it, he, his preference for players includes Jude Bellingham, Declan Rice, Jack Grealish, Erling Holland. You
0: Skumbar.
1: know, he, he could have built an amazing team, but they were not competent enough to get it done. And, um, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. The things I don't want to talk about. Um, mm. <laughs> the ones that weren't so big <laughs> like, You know, you, you could build an entire 11 that's probably Premier League winning with the players they missed out on. Under over under uh, two or three summers under under Oleg and for sure it'd be one of the best teams in the in the world probably but you know they're they're uh, you know they're trying and, and one of the things too you know now that I do want to talk about from you know an information perspective that I know that people are interested in one of the obvious perceptions you get from everything we've discussed is that they only work like when the transfer window opens. And it's, it's partially true that in a lot of instances the Glazers themselves are only sanctioning moves and and uh, approving things during the window and they wait until the last moments to make decisions on things mm-hmm. and, and they delay and all of that. But United are working pretty heavily on trying to identify and put together targets for the next year. and. And that is, you know, when I was talking about the revamped kind of analytics and department and all of that, that is one of the things they're trying to improve and get done. So they have these targets next year because they're conscious of the fact they cannot just keep recruiting Eric Ten Hag players and for the team. And uh, there's a couple of interesting things I, I want to mention here that I haven't shared because there's one story, one particular name that I've been looking at that I just think people would find very interesting. And uh, it's in the midfield. One of the things that I've heard said is that United actually do expect Casemiro to depart in the next one to two years at maximum um, for Saudi. Uh, they expect that that's going to happen. That is a likelihood that that could occur. I think that a lot of people watching the first few games have some concerns over the longevity of Casemiro. We know that in, in a lot of instances, Brazilian players tend do tend to slow down in their 30s pretty heavily and kind of fall off when we look at... Uh, some of the I'm not other examples. Into the reasons why. <laughs> Same Some reasons the I fell off in my thirties, but uh, but you know, Fabino fell off from probably one of the best midfielders in the world mm. uh, to being out essentially from Liverpool pretty quickly, and Casemiro slowing down. Let's put it that way. But either way, they do need to look at a long-term replacement, and um, I know that obviously they're already scouting at centre back. Pretty heavily, we saw a lot of the names listed when they're looking at replacing McGuire, in uh, in Toribo, uh and some of these other names. They've got they've got a bunch of names in Portugal, like Antonio Silva. They have Inacio. These there's a lot of people they're looking at there. But in the midfield, what's real interesting, and this just gives you a bit of the idea as well of the challenges that the football department are running into. Um, one of the things that I know for sure that they did this summer, prior to signing. Uh, Sofia and on alone, and there was a lot of stories about them actually contacting a lot more midfielders, right, um, Taram and, mm. and others. Uh, a name that was not mentioned is uh, Ezequiel Palacios from, um, he plays in Germany right now, he's a, he's a 24-year-old, uh, yeah, Leverkusen, yeah. He's an Argentine and um, very good player, very, very highly rated player right now, kind of up-and-coming and they're looking at him. They actually were trying to get a deal done for next year to uh, to bring him in on loan with a buy to next summer. And what it tells you in, in one respect that's good and one respect that's very frustrating is that they've already identified a long-term Casimir replacement. Um, Sofian Amrabat isn't that guy. He's coming in as, as a rotation. They probably, if he has a decent year, will sign him but they need more. That's a replacement for Scott McTominay, you know, Sophie and it, is, a, is a McTominay replacement at the end of the day. In terms of replacing Casemiro, they, they need somebody. And if it was, as we've said, City or even Liverpool at times, but definitely Madrid, look what they've already done. They've already replaced Casemiro. Look at all the players they have mm-hmm. in their midfield. It's insane the number of players, so many that for a moment... Chouameni looked like he might be available because they have so many midfielders in there and he was struggling to find a place in the, the team. A player of that quality, you know, being available because of that and they replaced Casemiro. We would have replaced Casemiro and that's one of the frustrating things is the football department knows we've got a player in mind who could replace Casemiro. We'd love to bring him in now and start easing him in so that we can and we've got the player there already and it's not this desperate scramble to Casemiro's we're going to replace once he's already like completely fallen off a cliff performance wise. Mm -hmm. We're desperate. We don't have another player. Um, We, and that means when that player comes in, because tying back to Anthony, tying back to Jaden Sancho, when that player comes in and now Rasmus Hoyland, who's going to have to deal with that this season, when that player comes in, they're expected to instantly perform at top level immediately, Mm -hmm. you know, no bacon time, no nothing because, They're replacing someone who's done, who's finished. And that's how it always is at United is when they're replacing someone, they're finished. Juan Bissaka had to come in, you know, at 20 years old after one season in the Premier League and become a starting right back. And his development was, I think, very much stunted by that as well. The demands that were placed on him. Uh, And and that happens at every single position. Jaden Sancho had to come in. We had no right wing. The season went to a total mess. Even Anthony, he comes in, he has to perform right away at right wing because we don't have other options who are already working. Uh, Rasmus Holland's going to have to come in. Nine goals in his career in, in senior football in Italy. Mm-hmm. He looks great. Don't get me wrong. I thought it, when he came on, he looked fantastic. He's huge. He's physical. I think there's a lot of positives. But the fact that he's going to have to perform immediately for United to succeed with the money that they spent on him continues to be the problem. So they, they identify these people ahead. They're looking at it. They think we've got someone we could bring in who could be a long-term Casemiro replacement, but they can't bring him in now because the Glazers are telling them, well, the only way you're going to get him is if you can get him on loan. And of course, why are, why are Leverkusen going for that? Why would they want to go for something like that?
0: Yeah, and so really this is part of the problem because the 10% Rasmus Horden was last season. You can bring yeah. him in and you can bet him in for a year or two um, because you've got players that are ready to start um but now you've got to bring him in a year later at three times the price and then he's gotta adjust. I know that they I told you this about him I don't know three, four weeks ago and it came up again in the media that they do like that Marcus Leonardo guy from Santos. Yeah. Um yep. he's someone that um they've spent they've spent quite a bit of time um looking mm-hmm. to to at the South American market. I know they really, really, really want to improve the depth at under twenty three yep. level because they see how that at, at SFP with Chelsea yep. and the club. So I know they're looking um and that probably could be available for around 20 million so um that could be within united's price range yeah. but again it all depends on what happens in january yeah. um i, I think we're, we're more or less close to getting done i don't want to do much more over an, uh, an hour do you have five more minutes or are you, you got it wrong yeah i'm good
1: yeah we can we can
0: take five more minutes yeah. okay yeah yeah so uh don't want to bore people too long for, but an hour should be enough. But um, yeah, so I know that they've been looking at um, Marcus Leonardo. I know they've been spending quite a bit of time looking at the uh, Serbian-Croatian market with yep. like with this young Croatian kid. Yep. Um, but they like I know they like the young lad Kovačić Kovačević I think it is at uh, Partizan Belgrade. He's a young centre back. Um, and and this is where United really have to be much better at getting those players in at that age. I mean, yep. we talk about Moises Caicedo, right? Every time I'd see United link with him when this price was a 100 million, you're going, it's just an illustration of their incompetence. That 24 yep. months after not being able to sell him for four and a half million, you're there willing to pay close to 100 million for him. Yep. Whereas, really, what should be happening is, why are we not getting these players f- this early? You know, and, yeah. and, and I think that's something that they really have to do better on. But again, I think this is also a consequence of, like we said, with um, the ownership structure down, where it is really, really difficult to get them to approve um, moves for yeah. players at early ages. Obviously, the, the younger you get, the higher the probability is they won't make it. But yeah. and the longer, you know, they they want players that they can put in the first team, and yeah. and um, you know, bring in free players you know, from the Academy, develop them and put them in. So um, this is something that um, hopefully by next year, non um, glazers the aren't there. Let me ask you about that because that is obviously the, one of the big questions. When we look at United, I'll tell you one thing that's definitely changed for me. You know, we talked to people inside the club, i mean, been talking to people inside United for close to a decade and you know, there's always, there's always been an acknowledgement that you know the fans have some really good points, but the glazers, there's always been, you know, they've always well they're good people. You know, actually they they do curb blah 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 all this. Um, but this is the first time that I've sensed that that is starting to change. Where there's a frustration with the owners that goes right to the very top. Mm-hmm. In fact, I have got a message two days ago from someone Um, and in in a relatively high, well extremely high position in the United States, they have to sell and so when you've got your staff threatening to go out on strike and you've got Adam Crafting getting stories that are briefed from a very 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 high level which was being briefed against the Glazers is more than anything. um, Mm. I think it's it, it I, I'm especially when you look at all the damage that's been done tonight commercially they say they don't care but they have to care um because they're not the city owners are not the Newcastle owners they can afford not to care but the glazers can't yep. because they're brand conscious you just wonder what would be the, the utility in keeping a hold of at this point it, it's not going to dramatically increase in value over the next year
1: well yeah I mean it is the challenge and and it is that you know, I, I agree with you because we've talked about it before. But I was I was just saying to someone this morning. You know, this recent story that came out today, right, about this this thing with this pedophile who's, who was <laughs> who was invited to the club, right? This is a this happened like a year ago, I mm-hmm. think. And when you look at the timing of all of this, you mm-hmm. start to wonder: is somebody just fed up? Mm-hmm. and leaking these Something's stories leaking out to the 100%. media at this point. 100%. Because you get you get every minutia of mm-hmm. this Greenwood thing leaked mm-hmm. out. And from people you and I have spoken to,
0: mm-hmm.
1: we got the idea. At first, not the case, but the, the more it went on, we started to get the idea that the Glazers are very much involved in this. I started to get really suspicious when we got a lot of stories being briefed about how they weren't involved in the Greenwood decision at all. That it was probably the exact opposite, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and and we started to get the idea that hey, maybe it wasn't necessarily all on Richard Arnold, um, even though he is their CEO and appointed by them. But as we know, as we've seen many times with things over the years, they get involved in everything, and I just strongly get the impression very recently that as well that somebody's pretty much fed up. And these stories are not going to end. And, and there's probably a lot more to come. Some people. Somebody is going to be airing out, you know, the dirty laundry at United. And uh, and there's a lot of it. I mean, there's a lot of it there. I mean, you know, when you go back to even just the basic things we talked about on the transfer front from, from 2020 and all of that and, and Joel Glazer being the de facto director of football at Manchester United that he's been for a decade, there's a lot more worse things that could come out about United. Mm -hmm. And I do get the idea. Part of me worries that it's because they get the feeling they are sticking, you know, and, and put digging their heels in a little bit, that these stories are starting to come out, that someone's really trying to push the issue. Um, And I think that there is some truth to that. I think that the issue with all these stories you're seeing is at the end of the day, you know, the Glaciers want more money. I think that, you know, they're, you obviously I think there was a propensity from, from Joel and Avram to go with a deal that will allow them to stick around and, and, and see that long-term value uh come into play, you know, um under the Enios deal or something like that. But they can't all agree because they're all too greedy on this front. And um and they and they're thinking, well, we're just gonna try to get more money. I, I don't know what the value is of holding it. You know, I can see I I, I don't know. I think they probably know the club's never going to be worth $10 billion under them. But at the same time, they're probably thinking it could be worth $10 billion under someone else. And they'd like to see that value, which doesn't really make any sense, you know, because you don't sell something yeah. for what you think someone else could do for it. But I, I do strongly get the idea there's, there's, there's people within who are, who are done, who are a bit finished, mm. and who are sick of taking as well a lot of the blame for mm. everything that goes on on the day-to-day basis
0: when you look at the fact that they're being pummeled by yeah. ex pros on TV, they've had Cristiano Ronaldo come out and pummel them. They've had um consistent protests uh online. They've gone from yeah. one catastrophe to the next. I mean we're not talking about football results here, we're talking about sleaze on a yeah. level that is uh, is extremely damaging to United's reputation. That's the type of stuff that pisses off commercial partners. Not just the ones that you have, but any potential new ones. Imagine you're in a marketing department and you're sitting down with a brand saying, hey, don't miss your opportunity to be part of a football club that has gone from one scandal to the next, to the next, of the vets the club without doing due diligence. We tried to sign races without the due diligence. We tried to bring in an alleged bring in an alleged rapist back into the team until the fans revolted. You know, our staff wanted to go out on strike. You know, we've now got our other winger that is now being abused, or, or being accused of of abuse, and our other one has just come out to slated the manager. I mean, what an opportunity of a lifetime. I mean, it must be absolutely impossible because if you've got that type of money to spend on brand association, there's Real Madrid, there's other clubs, you don't need this, right? Yep. So what's the justification? Oh, by the way, you've no fan equity because your fans hate you. So what exactly are you leveraging for me? What is, so you look at all the other, you know, the journalists now, there's, there's all the journalists are just, it's open season on them. Yep. You have. Personalities that are coming out and criticizing the glazers that aren't even you know either they are celebrities and stuff. You're going. Yep. I I know that they're relatively immune to a lot of this, but there's always a threshold. There's always a point where, and I believe once commercial partners start putting a squeeze, I mean, you need know, it, you know. You, being Manchester United's shirt sponsor used to be one of the most praised opportunities for sports marketing in, in, yep. in, the, in any sport. And now you know they can't replace their shirt sponsor. I mean, they, they, got, they were put yep. on notice nine months ago, ten months ago, that they wanted to replace it. That should have been replaced in a month. Yep. There should have been a line at the door yep. for people queuing up to give them a bit more money, but there isn't. And yep. so when you start pissing off commercial partners like this, it gets very, very difficult. I also believe... The Premier League have to be really concerned because a significant part of their branding is 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 the health of their top clubs. And when yep. they're looking at their top clubs being constantly dragged through the mud, scandal after scandal after scandal. I think for them there has to be a major concern about how this is being run. And uh, I just feel there's a tipping point for them where I don't they they can't afford a ten hog failure. If this season falls apart. Where's the money coming from for another manager and another rebuild and all that? It's not there anymore. I don't yep. see what else they could do to mitigate that. I just, I, I don't think, I think this was what it was always designed for. I think the father bought it, said to them, look, here's the plan. You use this football club to admit yourself for as long as possible. And once it's leveraged to the held, you sell it, Yep. right? And I think mm-hmm. we're at the point where there's nothing else they can do to yeah. mitigate fun you know outrage and all that and I, I just think that the, especially when you look at what it would take being able to be successful again I mean it's not just investment in the stadium there's there's so many things that would need to be done yeah. and I just don't think they can do it I honestly don't believe they'll I mean I've said this before but I, I just don't think they'll last at the end of the season I don't think they can but we shall see my friend um, we'll be back again next week yeah and, absolutely uh, it's about time we put our marathon um whatsapp voice passages onto recording (laughs) exactly and
1: (laughs) and now that we've kind of got through the foundation of Mm. all the all the shit going on we can yeah we can talk about a a little some more interesting things each and every week to to keep up and and keep informed because there's there's always a lot more good and bad that's going on Mm. behind the scenes and and happening at united and um and uh it'll be you know happy to, to get that out to, to everybody all the things we've been talking about
0: yes we will keep doing this so um hopefully things get better as the season goes on hopefully you've enjoyed this podcast folks um like i said this will be available on all uh james's platforms and mine and uh we'll continue to do that for the foreseeable future um eventually i suppose we'll do these live and we'll open up comments and stuff yeah. where we'll take questions yep. um once um and get my makeup on um then we'll do them live at, uh, thank you for taking the time to do this my friend at, uh, it's yeah, been a long course. time coming so um we look forward to talking to you next week buddy yeah you too that's All great right. thanks see you